Okay, looking forward to this one. This is going to be a good chat. We have got Roberto Nixon on the show today. Uh, loads to talk about on this episode. You will know Roberto if you are in this space and world at all as the creator of uh, Metaverse, the Instagram account that kind of blew up to over a million followers. I think it's 1.3 million uh, that I last checked. Luna AI going on as well has been on a crazy journey and recently wrote this very heartfelt and honest blog post about the nft collection uh, that he started as well called mv3 which is being sunset so we'll kind of get into that and this whole journey but um roberto thank you very much for coming on the show oh thank you thank you all for having me i know um my sister has spoken uh with you all once and she had a lot of glowing things to say i love that episode and more than anything man i'm just a i'm a, I'm a viewer i love the show i think you guys are, are two some of the more more introspective minds in the space so i'm really happy to be on appreciate that thank you robin is here obviously as well i am i am i i, I did interview your sister and we had a great chat um i think the thing is that I, we come from a, a background of production and working in production working in hollywood like your sister does and working your way up through the hollywood writer system particularly man it's it's a graft it's a really hard business to gain a foothold in which is why i was so impressed by jesse bringing her knowledge and savvy into this space and really trying to build something here because it's not easy it's a completely brand new space with its own rules and i think a lot of us looked at your project looked at what you were trying to do looked at the expertise looked at the the way you had built socially first, built a bulkhead for yourselves, and then were leaning into the connections that you had and the, the expertise that you had in storytelling. And we thought that you had everything you need to grind through this bear market and come out the other side. And it makes me sad that you haven't. However, Luke, in his infinite wisdom, wants to rewind, rewind back to the, the early days, the happy days, because we're following similar lines to you. And like, I shit you not, when I was pitching to investors, I put your Instagram account in my deck to say, there is an audience for the metaverse. This isn't yep. just Kabuki. There is something here. These guys can prove it. So for me, there's a bit of kind of, there's a bit of history there as well. So I think it's probably worth going back and thinking about from your point of view, what it was that drew you to the metaverse, why you decided to build that account and how you then leverage that to create the audience that you did. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, there still very much is a market and I actually anticipate a heavy, heavy resurgence on the metaverse. Um, I think I, I wrote a tweet sometime that I still kind of agree with that would happen in 2026, 25, 26. Um, I think some of the foundational architecture still has to be laid. And so I think, you know, obviously the 21 hype on metaverse was, was certainly earlier, but I think we've seen in, in, in a lot of tech and certainly hype cycles, um, Gertner hype cycle, I think it's called, um, that we were just in uh, now the trough of disillusionment, and I think it will reemerge. But at the time, it was 2021, I think, August, uh, September, or, or August or September, yeah, I forget exactly one of those, 2021, where we started the metaverse. And um, the thesis behind it, I started uh, into the world of NFT sort of as a collector and NBA top shot, and I fell in love. And I always thought it was the perfect, perfect use of blockchain technology, right? The um, authentication. I've been uh, sort of like in the hobby trading basketball cards and stuff with my brother-in-law for a long, long time. And I always thought when blockchain came out, I was like, this would be the perfect use case, right? Um, and so... NBA Top Shot drew me in and I became like a big collector. Obviously, I lost, I think, like probably 94% of the value of the cards there once Top Shot sort of went on the way down. 
Um, but then the NFT market started kind of emerging as we know and love it. And it was this incredible cultural moment. I just want to be at the forefront as sort of a, as sort of an educator and commentator. So uh, I've been building Instagram communities for, you know, 10 years now, built count maybe 15, 20 plus pages with a cumulative 10 million followers. And instinctively, I just know how to resonate with an audience on Instagram through visual content. And so that's when I started Metaverse. Um, and then the growth was out of control. And, I, you know, we spent probably 70K, something like that, building it up through spo uh, sponsored posts and shout outs and all that kind of stuff, like in the Instagram subculture. Um, but the real magic happened when Zuck changed the name of Facebook to Meta. And in that two weeks, I want to say the page grew from like 50,000 followers to like 800,000, like something absolutely insane because we wrote an incredible algorithm wave when every time you started typing Meta into Instagram, Metaverse was number one. Um, and then obviously there was so much attention. There was a speculative hype frenzy around NFTs. And so we were able to sort of leverage all of that. So the growth was... The growth was just high octane, man, kind of at the beginning, ever since it's waned back off. But now through kind of like more personal, uh, organic content, especially reels, it's, it's on the way up again. And it's grown like maybe 80,000 over the last few months. I love that you sort of uh, hacked Zuckerberg's algorithm there. He changed his name to Meta, but you were there first and, and people yeah, yeah. found you. It was, it was good. It was great. Um, and that time, yeah, it must have been crazy. And I remember it as well doing this podcast. It was just this influx of everyone was like, well, what the hell is the Metaverse? And try and find out all about it. Um, what were some of the conversations you were having? Um, because I bet people were getting in touch for your page and just generally like it must have been a wild time. I think you guys, you guys, uh, I don't know how, because Instagram was always sort of like the, the aside, it was Twitter was the game. Twitter and Discord was the game, right? So Instagram was always this sort of like forgotten about, not, not so talked about um, entity in the space. But there was an account uh, at NFT, I think you guys remember, and they were sort of exposed uh, working with Mark Cuban. Every single project that they promoted were also in, in the Metaverse DMs, you can imagine, literally with blank checks. Because at the time, it was like anything that we'd, anything that we'd mention or talk about it would, it would like, you know, either mint out immediately. Um, we, we would drive tens of thousands of people to a discord overnight. Um, and so, yeah, we were, we were getting those same offers. And, and when I say there were blank checks, there were literally blank checks. Like we don't like how much does it cost? Right. Because it was just this, you guys remember that speculative frenzy was, it was pretty insane. Um, how did that make you feel though? Because the, there's the the image of yourself as a successful human being. The social game is addictive. You get this dopamine hit when the numbers are growing. But because I, I know this from from running the Defiant channel, mm -hmm. you are painfully aware of the fact that you are influencing people in, 100%. in deeply kind of unschooled opinions about stuff um, because they will just buy. And there comes a moment where you have to look yourself in the eye and go, do I want to be part of this? And I wonder if you had the same thing yourself. A hundred percent. I always led with integrity. We actually made zero dollars off of this, right? We left millions of dollars on the table. And, and the thing is like, it's all provable. Like I have all these DMs, I have the same paper trail. And I, I understood it for what it was. Like I, I, I recognized it was people, you know, transferring money from the pockets of the naive into their own pockets through something that they definitely did not plan on fulfilling. And that's why like when some of these other pages got caught, it was like, it was so obvious, right? Because I would look at some of these deals and within four seconds, I understood them for what they were. Right. And so Metaverse actually only did ever did two deals. One was, and, and both uh, fully disclosed, one with Zoids, it was an old project too. I'm not sure what happened to that project. And the other one is Fiwa World. 
um, which now FIBA, I mean, that's an aside, but there's some some drama around that situation, so we have to we have to take a look. Um, but yeah, no, we you know left millions and millions of dollars on the table with Metaverse. Um, to this day, I don't regret that. I think it was the right choice to make. Um, you know, because like. I can handle failure. Failure is, you know, it's part of the game, I think, part and parcel for, for entrepreneurship. But I can't handle, uh, you know, feeling like a fraud in my heart and head for the rest of my life. And so, like, I'm, I, I walked away. Like, I'm, I'm okay with leaving that money on the table. Yeah. Yeah. And good on you for, yeah, sticking to that. That is integrity. And now when it, you know, comes back in these other accounts, like you say, you can, you can prove that you, you stuck to that, which is good. Are you keeping that account going? Are you still kind of Metaverse, promoting? Yeah, it's probably like, I'm, I'm working on six things right now, you know, that we can get into. Metaverse is probably lower priority, uh, certainly. Um, but definitely going to keep it going. Cause like I said, I expect a massive reemergence and just candidly, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of companies who have expressed interest in the entity as well. And so uh, something that kind of flirting with you, you are literally validating us right now. I mean, you, you are market research for everything that we're doing because w- when I go to our investors, like, is, 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 this, is this thing dead? Is this thing dead? And then, they, then the Vision Pro comes out again. Well, they didn't say Metaverse, but it kind of is Metaverse. And like, there's the MetaQuest 3 coming out. And like, is this really a thing? Yes, yes, yes. Fortnite's actually the Metaverse as well. But just hearing the numbers, the fact that you've got interest in the account that we always said was like proof validation that this thing could work, it's nice. So thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I expect it to come back. And, you know, Metaverse is like I kind of referred to and I think we all refer to is, is very much alive, right? And I think Tim Sweeney of Epic Games had a tweet the other day where like, oh, oh, Metaverse is dead. What about the 600 million people in our ecosystem playing daily for eight hours a day on Fortnite? Uh, in the Epic Games ecosystem. So I thought that was a pretty good quote as well. So absolutely not dead. And I think it's uh, it'll reemerge in a big, big way. I love going back to the um, old internet articles as well. They're almost carbon copies of like, oh, the internet is, is dead. Yeah. It's got no use case. Pessimist, like Pessimist Archive. If you guys haven't seen it, definitely oh. check it out. It's incredible, man. It, it, like, it does clippings from all the way back to the 1800s when the camera first was invented and painters were all up in arms saying that this was going to... like. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, you, you've probably been knee deep in that with the AI coverage because, man, you blew up again. Man, that Kanye, that Kanye TikTok. Oh, yeah. That <laughs> yeah, was that, that, Man, that was a lot of hate on that, too. That was a, that oh was a, fun, that was a fun situation. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote you here. This is the worst it will ever be. Yeah. Mic drop. I, the end. I, you nailed I, it, man. I always I, think I, about I heard that, you quote it. Yeah. I heard you quote it on MFM on My First Million. Like, this is the worst it will ever yeah. be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sh- Sean, period, man. Those guys are awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know that. Which again, th- th- this gives us some color and some perspective for the situation we find ourselves in now. Um, Lou, what was your next kind of line of inquiry? for? Re- yeah, so so you painted the picture well there. So this, uh, you know, crazy time and uh, Meta announced the name change and it was all blowing up and there was money on the table. And it, it, was, it was a wild time. If, if uh, you know, probably a lot of people listening to this will... Remember, it wasn't long ago, but for anyone who's just coming in now, it, and you look at you look at the prices, and you were sitting on, you know, it, it was it was easy to make to make money to buy something and just to, to wait and watch it, and it was it's that is the bull market, that is crazy times, and it was the excitement of the technology, also easy to lose money at times as well, um, and we all kind of believed it, and we'll get into the state of NFTs later because there's always this debate about how real is this, what is really under this, and you mentioned, um, you called it the, the sort of culture casino, which was an interesting line. We'll get onto that. But let's go next into your project that you started. So you did everything right, right? You built this amazing distribution channel where it was super active, um, and you announced MV3, and maybe you could tell us a bit more about 
that but the storytelling was really on point um you had this crazy community and you had you know integrity and good ethics when it starts uh, and still now but tell us about mv3 and that moment when you decided to launch it yeah so mv3 was super excited to me because uh you know my my sister and i lifelong best friends and we well to rewind a little bit at the beginning the collection was going to be so the idea was to create like this really robust media offering with with metaverse and then the way to get placement on that media offering was actually to be be owner uh, through ownership in in the collection right um and then early on we sort of realized that they that might not be sustainable uh so to speak uh, just just tell me what you mean by placement so for example offering. if you guys for your podcast you wanted to buy placement on on the metaverse instagram right. you wanted to you wanted to post uh six stories um you know a, a twitter space hosted uh, placement in our stages and our discord, et cetera, that package might cost, I don't know, let's say like 10K, right? Yeah. But instead of so paying- So it's a classic kind of monetization strategy, but tokenized. Sure. So instead of paying 10K, it's like you buy 10K worth of uh, MV3 or that the project, lock it up forever. And then the idea was that we'd be able to capture um, that percentage in the volume traded. And we thought that business-wise, that would actually either be break even or more profitable than just the direct you know, regular everyday payment. So that was sort of the idea. Um, but then thinking through it, and then after getting my sister on board, I realized that the the prospect of, of creating like this story-based community co uh, co-owned and co-created um, IP franchise was a lot more interesting to me, you know, especially at the time when I was seeing what Board Ape and Yuga were doing, which I thought was was brilliant. And I still believe that they're doing it. Um, and, and that the other side, I'm hoping that'll be a mega hit that, that we all suspect that, that it may be. Um, but at the time that was a big inspiration. Okay, cool. So, uh, yeah, so you had this IP that you wanted to build and you did drop it. And how did the first sales go? I mean, it was at the crazy time and it all did pretty well, right? It was, uh, it, it all did well. So we actually dropped it. Uh, we, we first dropped, it was a very slow drip, right? And so we had like in the discord, we had tiers of people who contributed the most, who, who got there the earlier. Um, and those people were able to, to mint very, very early on for a very low price. I think it was like 0.08 at the time where projects were minting for like three ETH left and right during the bull run. Um, so it was a slow drip, but then our main sale happened, I would say six to seven weeks after the sort of collapse, after the bear. Um, we were still able to mint out, but because of the because of the market sentiment, instead of 10K, we came down to 6,500. Um, and so we were, we were able to mint out, but we raised about 5% of the funds that were initially anticipated just seven weeks prior um uh which which was tricky right but yeah, yeah that is tricky well how would you modeled out what you were planning to do for the next 12 months or 18 months did you have a kind of clear financial plan for all that stuff or was it just let's see where we're at and then go from there yeah so at the beginning there was it was just completely different right and i can kind of walk through it so at the beginning we had a lot of venture interest we were talking to some private equity guys uh you know very wealthy individuals who we wanted to be part of and we all ran the financial modeling and and we and and it looked like and again, we were seven weeks too late. And I'm going to take some blame for this because we went 3D, which took forever. Like, I wish we just went simple 2D fiber art, um, which is a tangent. I don't think art really matters in the space. It's a psyop, I think, from people. Um, but um, anyways, to, to go back. So, so we were initially forecasting around 20 million. So we already had like all these interesting deals pseudo in place. We've already talked to in, uh, indie game studios. We had games that we want to build. We wanted to build like a Hearthstyle uh, sort of card competitor. And we had like all these plans, right? And we fell short of that. I think we raised around 1.2 million, but around half of that went right out the window in, in salaries and and, uh, and like payouts and stuff like that. We released uh, uh, finances. Then the other half um, was around 500K, something like that. And that really went to like the people, the you know develop development, art, code, et cetera. 
Um, and a lot of that now in retrospect looks like, oh man, th those were insane sort of like mismanaged funds. Um, but at the time it was sort of market value for everything, right? Especially these moderators. Um, but we can get into all the specifics and if there's any questions you have. Yeah, the thing is like we are sympathetic because we, we did our mint January of this year, like way deep into the bear. And we did it in four days and we sold out 10K. And then we were in this place where we we're like, oh, damn, that happened fast. Now what? The, the, there, are, there, there are some things on that, this spreadsheet. And do you, do you mind us posting the spreadsheet or would you prefer we Please, kept it? Please, man. No, I'm, yeah, totally, man. I'm here, I'm here like we're, we're as transparent as can be. You know, like that's another thing we wanted to, we wanted to say too is like most people are used to, to, you know, people coming in, sucking millions of dollars of liquidity and bouncing. It's like we're probably maybe the only founders in the space who have lost uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars and it's all like verifiable, which um, it's a little bit humiliating, I guess, embarrassing, right? Like in a, in a space where every founder is like seemingly made millions and disappeared. Um, but, uh, we wanted to be like upfront, straightforward about that. It's like, we, we tried and we put our, our capital on the table and, and thousands of hours and 18 months of, of work as well. So there's a truism here, which is most startups fail and most NFT projects are startups and they face the yeah. same pressures, uh, as other startups, except for one thing, which is most startups commence from a place where they have product market fit. They at least know that. And they, they go and they raise C capital and they, they slowly accumulate this thing. NFT projects are not like that. No. We are in this kind of insane process of discovery where we're trying to understand what product market fit looks like. And I think yep. that is mm -hmm. probably the, the biggest question for you guys, which is you had talent, you had distribution, but did you have product market fit? And was there ever a moment where you looked at it and said, this is where we sit, this is where we're going to belong? Or was it... A, a moment where it was just like you have all this interest and it tells you that there's something here yep. and it sort of short circuits the process by which you really do that hard work of finding product market fit. Certainly. It, it's not like the traditional startup scenario. Um, it was more really the idea was let's try to raise as much money as possible to build out this storytelling universe as much as we can to get to the next phase. Right. Like I guess this closest startup sort of analogy would be, all right, let's take the seed capital. Let's try to hit our KPRs to get us to like that, that series A or whatever. Right. Um, and that is what did not work. We just weren't able to raise enough money or interest to get us to the next level, which was probably at, the, at that point, uh, private financing to try to get a movie, uh, a game, uh, et cetera, made. You were swinging for the fences though. Was there, yeah. was there, were there some hard decisions about what is the MVP? Because there, mm -hmm. there has to be like, I guess this, more traditional funding model where you you hit milestones and then that triggers another round of funding and if you've yeah. hit those milestones within right. time and you can show you can execute did you guys have that or did you have that difficult conversation where we, it's not a film but it could be this and if we pivot here yeah. quickly and we cut our losses does yeah. did that happen we had that at the beginning i mean again it was a completely different time i can't i can't tell you how many meetings we had with uh, with you know people in Hollywood, the higher ups in Hollywood, everybody was interested to see how they could wrap a, 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 their head around this new cultural moment, this new you know tech paradigm, like everything that it was hailed to be. Um, and uh, you know, you guys being in the space, you could probably confirm. Like after that bear market hit, it was like it no longer was this novel sort of exciting space. It was more of a it was like a badge of shame. Like it was it was actually worked against us in a way where and you know it was like NFTs 
get out of here. Like, we don't want to hear, we don't want any more of this conversation. And I saw it in so many ways. Like I had during the metaverse all uh, substantiated and verified in the discord, I would post these screenshots. But I mean, I had uh, Tom Brady, I had Zuckerberg's representatives. He was actually at, at a point looking to do a, a, a space, a stage in the metaverse discord, every celebrity on the planet, all of those, everything disappeared immediately and nobody wants anything to do with it anymore. And so it was just, um, it was an, it was unfortunate timing, um, but I want I want to talk more about like the NFT market in general. I just believe actually it's unsustainable in every every way you look at it, and you reach a dead end in terms of financial upside, no matter what. And I think every project will uh, face the same fate. Some perhaps in decades because there was some that raised uh, eight nine figures. Um, but I want to I want to talk through every detailed possible scenario and want to really be challenged on it because I haven't heard a good rebuttal to this yet. Let's yep. get into that because your letter and your post was, uh, yeah, was honest. And, and I think reading it, especially in the space, it's like it really called, not cool people out, but made you think, like you say, what is the rebuttal to this? Like how uh, this, this stings yep. to read it, but like, uh, well, we, I think you're right for a lot of it. So um, yeah, before we get there quickly, let's just mention the royalty wars as well, because as the market was mm -hmm. turning and this stuff yep. was changing, that was another big thing that kind of um, put the nail in the coffin a little bit was that the royalties, royalties started disappearing. And that was probably a big part of your model and people's model in general. Yeah. Was that, do you think that was a moment? Let me set the scene for this because yeah. I've been documenting the NFT space since like 2017, like when there wasn't an NFT space. Wow. Okay. The, really the, OG. The, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. Being like properly, properly OG. Uh, that was when I first got excited about it for exactly the same reasons that you did, which is this feels like a way to combat piracy. This feels yeah. like a way to to render a new type of ownership experience for people in terms of the way they engage with media. The 2019-2020 version of NFTs was pretty wild. And there were people who were just milking the machine on Rarible, on OpenSea. Blue Kirby springs to mind. And this became you know, the meta. But the people just printing garbage. And then that became the art phase. So you had, as you mentioned, Fawocious, Trevor Jones, X-Copy, like these serious artists. Then Beeple happened. When Beeple dropped into the NFT space, everything changed. That is a, that is a pivotal moment in this space because yeah. suddenly you saw first legitimacy. You saw m this weird sort of techno space of ours considered as art in the same space, you know, as a Banksy. So Beeple, Banksy, you know, a huge thing. That drew Legend, all these yeah. eyeballs to the space, predatory eyeballs to the space. Um, I remember Anthony Pompliano writing a piece saying he was making a big bet on digital art. Pricked my ears up and was like, I've met Pomp. He doesn't fuck about. Like, he, no. if he's making a big bet on digital art, he's, he's for real. So he's collecting Ferocious and he's collecting Trevor Jones. And, I, and I've become quite good friends with Trevor Jones. He's just an awesome dude that he never expected any of this. Like, the yeah. artists themselves were awesome. And the reason all of this became so friendly in Cardi was because of these royalties, which nobody believed were, were anything other than coded into the blockchain because that's what we've been promised. OpenSea made an absolute packet out of these royalties, out of the fees. The artists did really well as well. And then Blur happened. It was the Blur moment where suddenly NFTs turned into shitcoins. That moment where we financialized NFTs, and I saw it happen because I was coming from the DeFi side where we have these incredibly yeah. mature and complicated financial instruments for extracting more value from providing liquidity. That's basically all DeFi is. It's just a liquidity game. When that became the game for NFTs, I knew it was over. 
because it's a race at the bottom at the end of the day because these platforms right. are all competing with each other for customers and the customers will go where the best going is who is the customer it's a trader and you had never ever met a more sharp brutal doesn't give a fuck about anything human being in the world than a crypto trader like a really good one savage absolutely. yeah absolute savages they are they are stone-eyed math weirdos who just never sleep and that is that is the game and and oftentimes with the sort of luxury of staying anonymous so does so they are you know immune to any sort of you know retribution or pushback or, or legal action yeah so so their entire thing is not about culture it's about it's about numbers so they yeah. see volume surge they understand yeah. there's something here take a look is it real is it not real and then they look at influencers is someone influencing this all of these people know each other yeah and i think this is this is the backdrop to what you're talking about because you and i are both influencers we talk about stuff people don't spend the time to do their own homework because they believe what you say is truth and you have to earn that reputation and it could be easily lost but at the same time if we say oh this is interesting then people will buy it but there are people who say you should buy this this will go up 100x and then people do and yeah. that is how this game works so that's that unfortunately is is in a nutshell what happened with nfts there was an enormous amount of goodwill good conversations and a beautiful moment when it looked like this idea of royalties in perpetuity every time an item is sold a royalty goes back to the originator of that piece of work that's a very profound thing and it it harks back to something that your sister will be i'm sure battling with as well as the writers you know strike and, and try and get a better deal uh with the wga um but yeah like residuals just this idea that a piece of work that you made if it does commercially well if it's successful a little piece of that success goes back to the people who actually made it who actually made it and the thing is like I, i've made tons of music videos in my life produced concepts for bands for artists i never see a penny on that you get paid for the idea no you get paid for the production you don't get paid for the idea ad agencies get paid for the idea and the production but if you're an artist you don't get paid for like like a music video director doesn't pay for anything you just get reputation that's it and nft's got us beyond that and but suddenly back we go so i hope that sets up the kind of groundwork for where you go sure. next yeah i mean uh first of all to make your point about my sister that was sort of the magic of the space for her you know she's been co-creating all this ip and she doesn't own a cent a percentage nothing of it right she sort of and and i understood it too like because i started my career as a designer at a big agency and i would pour my blood, sweat, and tears into these, you know, websites for Nike or whatever. But like, I, there was no, you know, I just got paid my salary and went about my business. And so the royalty model with NFTs, um, especially through my communication in, in Metaverse, um, and, I, and I do think like besides guys like Gary Vee and, and companies like Yuga, like Metaverse is up there with probably onboarding, you know, like thousands, if not tens of thousands uh, of people into the space. And the reason um, that it was so compelling and I think resonated with so much people was that royalty model. I think that was the big aha moment for so many people coming in uh, NFTs, especially for artists who realize, hey, every time my work changes hands in the secondary, I'm going to get paid a percentage of that. That's awesome. You know, Picasso, does, his estate doesn't have that luxury as an example. Um, and so definitely when Blur came about, NFTs just sort of disappeared and, and all these. I actually thought OpenSea, I, was, I didn't think that would ever capitulate but I understood why they did it, right? They had to stay competitive. But when that happened, I think Kobe's sort of famous line, NFTs are just shit coins with pictures. I think that actually sort of came into fruition. 
Um, and I do think that crushed so many companies and not in the, and not in the point, like people were like, oh, you weren't making a lot of money on, on NFTs any, or on, on volume anyways, because MV3 never had like, you know, this blue chip style uh, bull market volume. Um, but that wasn't necessarily the point. It wasn't the revenue coming in. It was about the business models that we wanted to build on top of it, right? Like you build uh, IP, you build products, software, services. Um, you could share some of that uh, with the holders and then you capture a percentage of the volume. Granted, we could have built our own marketplace, switched over to a, a, a royalty uh, contract. But I mean, like, I didn't want to delude ourselves or the community into thinking that that would do anything, right? I, I see other projects who have done that. There are no listings on their marketplace. There's very low volume. So I understood, you know, paying, you know, the money that it would have, it, that would have required to build this thing out and the time that it would have taken wouldn't have yielded any results. Like it was, again, like to, the startup analogy, you know, 18 months into this game, thousands of hours, hundreds of thousands of dollars, the data is not there, right? And if it was a startup, it would have been sunset a long time ago because my, my ethos is ship fast, fail fast. Because it was this community involved that I, I, I really like love, like so many of these people, they've all become like my friends. And that was the largest disappointment was, was disappoint, disappointing them. But that's why we kept going, even when the numbers indicated that this is not sustainable. Let's keep building. Let's see what happens. Let's see if we can generate some interest to then raise private uh, financing. Um, but there was, there was no interest, unfortunately. Interesting. Okay, so you're now at this point where you've kind of probably realized these things some of it in your control, a lot of it not in your control. And you decided to, to be like, this is the moment to, to sort of tell everyone and to, and to post that blog post. Do you want to kind of take us through just that moment and then, and then begin talking about how you're thinking about the, sure. the space from now? Sure. A uh, couple of things. First, I also wanted to mention your point, Robin, is like this influent, like having influence in the space is such a integrity gray area, right? Because the, the traditional, if there's an, the influencers that's on Twitter space every day, building influence, writing threads, building influence is only one really, they could do it the proper way, which I think is, um, uh, you know, putting their weight behind uh, protocols, products, services, platforms, like actual substantive thing. But the main way to do it is to push these NFT collections where the only way to make money is for somebody else to lose at your, or for you to win at somebody else's expense, right? It truly is like to me an integrity gray area. And even if you have good intentions and you say, I really just like this artist. I want to support this artist. Your words could mean a lot more liquidity from naive people coming into this artist thinking that they're going to get a return, which they never will. It's, it's really tricky. Right. Um, and so my thing has always been like influencers do whatever they want to do. As long as a, they disclose that they're being compensated in some way. Hey, I have, I'm going to buy a lot of these NFTs. I plan on selling whatever, or I'm being paid to do this. And the other way is to really do your due diligence, which I think lacks in the space, of course. Um, but uh, to, to, to go to your question, first, I also want to mention MV3 now, uh, the announcement, right? Let's walk through that. We haven't announced publicly. We had it all planned for Monday morning. The community asked us to pause because now we have a lot of potential suitors who want to continue the dream forward because the, the vision was, I think, novel. It was, you know, co-community-owned, internet-owned, community-owned franchise, co-created within the community. And uh, there's a lot of people now uh, that I've been talking with. And of course, like, I don't want to mention anything because it's all, uh, you know, up in the air. Um, but there are some suitors that have come to the table and new leadership groups that could continue taking the IP forward. So that may happen. Um, but when it came to the announcement, it was just, it was difficult. You know, I've had a lot of talks with founders in the space, um, you know, with startup founders adjacent to the space, but not necessarily participant in the space. Um, and and uh, it was just clear that, you know, the numbers, you know, first of all, I thought was, I think it's, unsust it's not sustainable. Like 
an upfront cost for perpetual value forever is not, you know, it's just something that's not sustainable. What, what do you mean by that? An upfront cost for sustainable value forever? Break that down so people can understand what that actually means. So basically, if you buy an NFT, say you buy it for, I think our average price that we sold people the NFT was like 0.12, 0.13, when average all the price tiers out. Um, and so for that price, now we are, people expect us to provide perpetual value and everything free kind of forever, correct? And another inherent problem, I think, with NFTs is like people are buying, like, for example, if I buy an Azuki today, the floor price, the cheapest Azuki, I think, is like 40 grand, something like that, right? None of that makes its way back to Azuki. That money only goes to the person in the secondary who's speculating on the value and they're, they're being rewarded for it. And so now can I expect Azuki to continue providing me perpetual value forever, even though they receive zero dollars for my involvement? Um, that, that is, I think, what's, what's tricky to, to reconcile. True. If that if that clears it up, yeah, it, it's. I mean, the, the, the model is somewhat similar to the ICO. Like you, you raise a bunch of capital very quickly and cheaply. I mean, it's kind of Kickstarter, basically, isn't it? Yeah, uh, and you give people T-shirts. The T-shirts are JPEGs, but it's the same basic model. Unfortunately, when you when you do a Kickstarter and you send people the T-shirt, that's where it ends. With NFTs, it's not where it ends. That's where it begins. And there is a set of expectations which are very very simple, which is. Kind of like the Eddie Murphy raw stand-up, which is, what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately? (laughs) Over and over and over and over and over and over again, every day, all day, every day. And then you are basically in two modes. One of them is defense, because you cannot defend your floor price, so you have to defend it in other ways. We are working really hard. We are delivering the roadmap. We're doing these things. And then the second thing is, education which is there is no blueprint for this shit we're all trying to figure it out man on the fly you cannot look at yuga and say why aren't you doing yuga because yuga is an outlier of the most epic and extraordinary proportions as is doodles as azuki's azuki makes no sense yuga makes no sense they are making it make sense but when you hold it up next to the people it should make sense against you're like no 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 would you take that bet hell no doodles makes no sense let's just add pharrell let's just add a bit of pharrell the the thing the thing that i've been saying and like web3 to me like i don't want to uh admonish web3 i still think it's incredible like having the framework for decentralized commerce and okay all right all right what is it that's incredible about web3 I think it's that it's it's laying out the frameworks, the the uh, the foundation for decentralized commerce and communication. So just the technology in itself, I think it's novel. I still think blockchain tech is breakthrough. There's an, uh, an amazing amount of use cases. I'm still going to be a proponent, an evangelist. The NFT market, as we know and love it today, I truly believe like this is my my quote. I truly believe that it is a casino predicated on sentiment and narratives set by the people with the most money and the most influence. And that's all that really matters, right? Um, I, I truly believe that. And I also am on record saying that I don't think that is a bad thing necessarily. In fact, you could argue that that's a feature. Like we found, like we're, our culture is casino. We're the, the culture of Bovada, Stake.com, DraftKings. I mean, we love gambling. Look at Vegas, right? We build a palace in the middle of the desert. Um, so we've figured out a way to casinofy culture, casinofy influence, sentiment, et cetera. And I just think that is the game. It's predicated on, on nothing else as much as people want to dress it up in, as, as something more substantial. I really think that's it. And I think that's been proven. Like we've had product projects who have raised literally $100 million plus, and you can't point to anything that they've built except more NFTs. 
right? Or that's a bit of a generalization. Honestly, like I, I, I'd love to have a conversation, but I don't see anything else. And I do believe also, if you do establish these actual business models, um, sustainable, uh, you know, revenue models, et cetera, there is a point where it no longer makes sense to continue providing value to the holders. If you're not capturing any volume, uh, value or volume, sorry, if you're not capturing any royalties or anything on that volume, right? Once you have this established business, uh, business model, why would we continue to provide free value to the holders? There's a point where it becomes charity and it makes no business sense. And I think projects, that's going to be the second phase for a lot of these projects where in two or three years, yes, they have IP that's extremely profitable business models that are extremely profitable. I just don't see how that trickles down to holders without a, a government set regulatory framework that allows for these to be securities that can actually capture equity or profit participation in these IP. I just, I don't, I don't think it's an opinion too. I just don't think the math works out. Um, but again, like I'd, I'd love to be challenged here because I no, I, I, and the yeah. thing is, I can't challenge you on that. Like the but the thing about capital markets is they are highly efficient. They're brutal, but they are highly efficient. And they also, in the space, in the case of NFT markets, they they act pretty fast. Let's be honest. the The thing is, what what we're talking about here is ownership. Web three is fundamentally about ownership, and you only have to look at the things that you have in your digital lives that you actually own and there are precious few of those the the thing about an nft is you don't own the jpeg you own the nft you 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 don't own the jpeg you own a token that points to a url hosting the server that speculates on the on the ability to drive sent on on the owner's ability to drive sentiment which is is, but even that even that tiny little thing as small as it is is a dramatic improvement on let's say my feature film that I made within 45 minutes to an hour of it being released on iTunes could be pirated. That Bingo. happened. Bingo. That's the and, magic of the space. And, exactly. that, and that's the thing that the, the ownership, you can prove ownership, you can create relationships over time. For me, there is value in that. There is, there is, there is inefficiency around the tokens. There's inefficiency around the way that these tokens are traded because there just is, it's a, it's a young space that's still figuring itself out. But, there is a reason why Nike with Dot mm. Swoosh is in Web3 and producing digital sneakers in Fortnite that you can then link to your Dot Swoosh account. There is a reason why they're doing that. We don't know what the reason they're doing that is, but clearly, if you're Nike, it's because it makes sense. Now, if you are a, a huge brand like Nike and you're looking at the return on investment on doing something in Instagram, versus the return on investment and doing something in a brand new platform where you can keep people for 60 to 90 seconds as opposed to 20 to 30 seconds, then the metaverse makes sense. I get that. I get from a marketing point of view why those numbers make sense. And particularly in the way that SEO is changing, the way that marketing in general is changing, the way that you know search engines are changing thanks to AI and ChatGPT. I get it. I totally get it. But to say that NFTs don't have a place, they don't have value, it's too early to dance on that particular grave i think i think but There's i understand th- where you're coming from because the, the the problem is that the market that we that are in is is basically during a bear market it's completely fueled by sharks and those sharks don't care about you not at all also it's a completely live exper- experiment in real time right like correct um, and, and it's fun yeah, and it's fun. And also humans are idiots. Like we do stupid stuff all the time. We buy designer bags that, you know, go to zero every day. Like it's 
it's kind of fine as long as you know what you're getting into. You go, if you go to the casino and blow your paycheck, like that's not yeah. you know great for people. But like it's fine if you know what you're going to do and you and you're and you're aware of the kind of risks of that. It's yeah. the complete kind of unknown, isn't it? But then it, it, I was going to yeah talk about the Nike and Artifact. I guess are building these models where there are other products and other yeah. uh, other things. But interestingly as well, like that Nike are really moving hard. With, EA, with the EA Games partnership, with the Fortnite partnership, partnership, but all their tokens are soul-bound at the moment, meaning you can't trade stuff on an open market and they've eliminated that part of it. So yeah. that feels like maybe, okay, there's something that can work for everyday normal people here. I, I love that as well. And I, and I, and I'm not, uh, I want to clarify, I'm not dancing on the graves with the NFTs. I'm, sp I'm speaking in particular about the NFT market that sort of exists around like existing projects. Like NFT is just a piece of code. And I think, again, it's novel. It's, it's groundbreaking. Like it's obvious where we are headed. Like, all you have to do is look at the behavior of the younger crowd. They are spending their entire lives on Fortnite, Minecraft, 2k list goes Roblox. on yeah. Roblox. Exactly. And so it's so obvious that our digital items, like, the, the magic of Web3 is that it's introduced the idea of scarcity into digital. And that is huge because our digital items are the status symbols of the future. This is how we're going to be able to communicate who we are. Um, you know, uh, like it, it's, it's magic. Well, right? I would, I would, really I would argue well, that, it's, sure. that it's, there's more to it than that, which is the sense of permissionlessness. I don't right. need to know who you are. I can trade with you and it just happens. And the mechanisms by which that happen are decentralized, which means governments yep. cannot shut it down. Bitcoin is censorship resistant. Th these are massive ideas. When my daughter's trading items on Roblox, it's sketchy as hell. Like, <laughs> yeah. like I, I, she could do the same trade on OpenSea. And yes, you know, people get scammed all the time, but fundamentally it's a better system for doing right. that particular thing. She, she recently got scammed on Roblox and lost all of her items that she'd worked oh, no. for like a year to accumulate. And I was heartbroken for her, but there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. You know, at, at least, I mean, it, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot at stake here. And w we run the risk of either condemning blockchain unfairly and Web3 unfairly or condemning the culture around these things unfairly. I am not arguing with you that the NFT game, particularly in the bear market, is literally about two days worth of excitement to make as much money as possible and then get the fuck out. I am not arguing with you that. And there's a wreckage on the other side of that. And somebody yeah. has to pick up the pieces and that is you, project founder, me, project founder. But I I've think that the hard, the hard thing, I think for, for listening to you talk is that it seems like you didn't model it out properly. You didn't, I mean, you're talking about losing hundreds of thousands for of dollars. Sure. Right, 100%. This just sounds dumb. I'm sorry to say it. Like, why didn't you like pull the plug sooner? Why did you keep yeah. going? It it wasn't dumb. It was moronic. It wasn't dumb. It was moronic. It was a little bit worse than that. It's the same thing, um, man. It's the a, same a, thing. A hundred, a hundred percent. And we just came to this to this realization and where the idea was again, it was to reach that next stage. It was to be able to drive enough uh, to put together a compelling enough case to then go to these private financiers that that we have had conversations with in the past and say, hey, can we reestablish a line of communication? This is where we've gone now, right? Um, and it turned out that not, so correct. Like it was dumb. We re, uh, we launched another free collection, put a lot of money behind that, like marketing, the artists, everything Why? was great. We thought, because we thought it was going to reinvigorate 
the the floor price bring a lot of attention, capture a lot of attention into into the NFT and get us to a point where we had a higher floor that we could then start having these conversations with with financiers. So um, as you say, what that was, was your done. it was what was your validation for that? Had somebody else done that? Were you looking at Goblin Town and they're royalty free? You know, like correct because when you have another drop around the corner that people can suspect, uh, you know, could be a value then it usually increases the value of the primary collection, right? And so, again, we were just looking, and this is another thing, our, our big mistake, um, we were always kind of two months behind, you know? Like, we threw this big event in New York that at the time was very expensive. At the time, our community was really, really rallying behind it because the idea was, like, we need to bring as much attention as possible before our mint date. We looked at Izuki's party a couple months earlier, and the yield that they got, I thought that was one of the, the most brilliant parties in the world because they spent, you know, maybe a couple hundred grand on the party, but they yielded maybe... You know, millions, if not tens of millions of dollars. You on the don't backstage. know. You don't know what's Correct. going on at Azuki. Correct. You so don't we, know who's in we bed with who, who's running that. Who's exactly. running that. You don't know. You can't model it. Like I'm looking at your exactly. numbers here. Somewhere, nowhere. 50 grand, 35 grand. Dude, these are non-recoverable expenses. There is nothing. There's no return on this. Correct. It's just marketing. Correct. But uh, what I would say, is there a return on when any other project did everything that worked at the time? So again, we were modeling it on things that worked. And when we did it, it did not work because of my lack of execution, certainly. Um, but again, um, that is the space. The space was to, to spend money to, or you know, do things to drive attention to be able to demand a higher floor price. That higher floor price allowed you to capture more money off the volume being traded or it warranted another collection to suck more liquidity out of out of your community, right? And so that is the game. So the only 100% it was moronic, terrible execution on my part, without dumb. a doubt. Um, more but, than dumb, literally. I mean, I could forgive poor execution. But the thing is that you're talking about bringing more attention to the collection. The, the issue I have with this is that you, you'd already won. You had a pipeline for distribution. The, that's another the, story. The, we were this, not able to use it. Yeah. But that's another story. It's a legal situation. Right. So there's I, a lot of things too that right. are behind the table. A lot of a lot of uh uh legal situations that arise that that uh and not using it as an excuse, but for pe you know, that, that was always a big frustration with the community. You got metaverse oh, crap. You got I'll just do it like this. You got metaverse, you got uh you have this incredible distribution pipeline. Why don't you activate it? And the and the answer was that we were not able to, unfortunately. Okay. Um, that's something you can't that I promote just, your own. I can't divulge. Drop no, because it, it was. Uh, we we could talk about it as an aside, like later in private. But it's just okay. something that I can't like divulge. No, that's um, that, that's fair enough. But but it, when I look at it and go, one guy behind a desk talking about AI blows up. That's you. You did it. That's really cheap. Genuinely, like. I mean, I I've genuinely sympathize with you because we we are we're we're quite similar to you in 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 a lot of ways that we are building transmedia IP. We are building a motion capture volume that does real time animation. Nobody in the world does what we do the way we do it, and it's right. fucking hard, and it's burning cash because we are like we don't know how to do this. We don't know how to make it work. But the we know that that as a business model to take to game developers as a unique selling point, a unfair advantage, whatever you want to call it, yep. in this space, the ability to take RIP, bring it to life anytime we want, walk in in the morning, publish in the afternoon, and it's animation, that is priceless. We know it is. That's our business model. It's as simple as that. What was yours? Well, the business model was to raise as much money through driving that attention at the beginning going into Mint. 
right? And then we had all these things that we wanted to build, including games that we have already mapped out and we had identified the developers to help us with. Because again, we thought we were going to uh, raise a lot more funds. So we had a Hearthstone style game. We had a, a storytelling, storytelling style game, everything mapped out that would allow us to continue to build the IP and drive revenue, right? To then, to then again, like provide us an opportunity to perhaps raise the, the financing needed um, or to drive the excitement needed to get to the next stage. How much money did you need? How much to, to, to realize what you wanted to do? How much money did you need? Probably 8 million to build the two games. Um, substantially more if we were going to finance our movie ourselves. But again, like when we minted, that was the reality, right? Yeah. Like the reality was and all finance, like, you know, you can ask anybody involved in the project or adjacent to it. Everybody agreed at the time we would have been able to mint. If we were seven weeks earlier when we thought we were going to mint, uh, we probably could have minted for an ETH each. It doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. It doesn't right. matter. It doesn't matter what, what ifs, could ifs, might have well, never think. But, but like you, you. What you're getting to is the reason that we had to make the decision that we had to make. I don't believe there is any business model. I think some of the biggest collections in the world, like, I, and, I, and I get it, right? Like, I'm not trying to like absolve blame, but like our, our spending is, just, is aligned with every other sort of project, right? There's no, the only way that they're making money is by pushing more NFTs. But let me, let me uh, get to what I'm saying. The other way to do it was then to establish an actual, uh, you know, an actual business or, uh, or revenue source. That's what we did with the Luna. And then we tied that to, all right, well, let's get MV3 to give them actual substantive value through software credits and that. Um, but I, what I think will happen, and again, I'm just, I want to put this on record so we can look back in three or four years. Some of these companies that will establish revenue sources, the NFT component of it will no longer be as important. Um, it will remain for the decentralized component. People buy in and then they feel, okay, I'm personally invested into this token. I have to yield more value. I have to talk about this brand. And it's like this, you know, this, this, um, you know, that decentralized model kind of works, but the, these companies will then no longer feel that business incentive to continue to drive value to these token holders. I, I just, right. And so, um, the, the business model was to drive as much attention as possible. Hence the, the big, blowout party and everything so we could raise as much possible on the much money possible at the mint to then build out these components that we needed to build out if you don't mind me asking what, what were the kpis for the parties what were you what were you looking to get out off the back of those so it's kind of it's kind of hard to measure right like i still think uh i still think they were probably roi positive because again we were able to mint out a 6500 or 6500 uh, collection and we did not really make any noise like as much as like um, you know, MB3 was a big project, but it wasn't really no, like, even after the announcement, there was like not a lot of murmur about it on Twitter. There was not, it wasn't really part of like the NFT culture, right? It was like its own community. Um, and so what, I still think like, when we was your mint? Just out of curiosity, when uh, was your mint? Ju I believe it was July 22. This is NFT NYC. I'm imagining. Yeah, NFT NYC. Yeah. I don't know if you guys remember that. It was like. Yeah. 2022 was still, there was still a lot of juice. There was still a lot of juice. We we were out there. We were we were fundraising at the time, but I, I was reporting on it. It was like uh, Board Apes put on a huge party. Huge, huge party. Huge, massive, massive. Three yeah, days, three yeah. days for three days in a four row. Days. Uh, it was four days. Eminem, Lil Baby. Yeah, I was there for that. And so the sentiment in the community was we had to show up really, really large and make as yeah, much I get that. as possible because our mint was just a few a few weeks out. Damn, you got you got caught up in the bullshit, and I feel for you. Hundred percent. I feel 100%. for you because, yeah. And not only that, like, here's another thing, just like candidly, once you start, you have, like, I felt like I've been building this community for 18 months. And like I said, these are people that I consider friends. 
Um, of course, you realize later, okay, there are some true ones, but but some that are only like their their mood and disposition towards you only depend you know only depends on the money that yeah um, that's another story. Um, and so I was like, we have to continue going to bat for these people. Let's let's try to make sure that they're whole. But then and and that was the original plan. Let's keep going to bat. Let's keep driving attention. Uh, let's try to raise the floor price and then drop another collection. It was these old antiquated sort of models that we had seen others do that no longer worked. Is why I say we were always like kind of like two months behind the curve. Um, and but then, you, you also know that like as much effort as you put into these markets, as much effort as you put into everything, there is basically there's nothing you can do to escape Bitcoin, crypto, Correct. all of that. Then NFTs on top of it. Then who else's project is hot? You have no control over that. It, is, it, is, it is the reason why we focused on the metaverse as opposed to crypto for what we're doing because the metaverse Correct. can be non-Web3. We can have a dialogue and a conversation during a bear market that has nothing to do with Web3 and we don't give a shit. 100%. And you, you have to develop a business model, I think, in this space that can insulate itself. Or it, like Web3 is a pillar or right. a foot or whatever you want to call but, it. It's but not again, the entire game. that's why we made the announcement. That's why I'm leaving the space. So I, I know. I, 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 so, I, so, I mean, like, let me ask you the it. question. All the big blue chip projects, what is their business model? Besides minting more NFTs through the generation of attention, like uh, honest question too. I'm not exempt again, okay, not so resolving or deflecting, but no, what is no, 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 you're absolutely right? right to ask because you look at Izuki and, and their, their currencies culture and actually, right. no, it's not, it's, it's collective brainwashing that this thing is worth a thing because it's a collective says it's something worth big. It's a perpetual something big is coming next. Yes. Um, and the old bull market tactics of continuing to, create more NFTs, which bring more value to the original, like the, the old Yuga model, you know, that I don't think any, any longer works. But like, that is the only thing I ask of you is like, okay, out of all these big successful NFT collections, what is their business model besides minting more NFTs to, or more products to sell directly? Yeah, that's not sustainable. The thing is, right? it, so, it, it, it does switch around. So crypto markets are cyclical and right. they're actually quite short cycles. So you can really model your watch by it every four years, Bitcoin halving next year in April. After that, the market goes up. It just does. You can't, it doesn't matter what's going on in the world, what the SEC is doing. It will just do that because that's what it does. Like so it, that's it, why, and, and not to interrupt, but that's why a lot of people in our community was like, no, keep this thing for the next bull market. Then you take advantage of that next speculative frenzy. And of course, that's what I kind of wrote in the letter. I was like, everything ultimately is unsustainable, correct? Like, okay, we, okay, the next bull market hits, another round of attention comes in, our floor price goes up, which warrants another drop, another money. It's, uh, I, I, it's just, I see what, what, I what do you think happens in the next, because that the hype is going to come back in some form and it'll probably be in an area that we didn't see coming, like NFTs perhaps gaming. a few years ago. Web, Web3 gaming, I think would be. So if I like had to just pull out a guess, you know, out of my ass or whatever, uh, 2024, late 24, Bitcoin having on the strength of that. I mean, I think uh, I think we'll probably see another bull cycle in crypto. Um, I do think the next cycle is going to be the biggest, but the shortest because see cycles have like once a cycle is identified, the cycle ceases to kind folks. of exist. Right? He's giving us, he's giving us TA. <laughs> well, I mean, so he's I, about, again, he's about to give us some TA. Super I'm cycle, everyone. Dan Held, you I, should be ashamed of yourself, my friends. Oh man, God, no, no, no. look, listen, I have no idea what I'm talking about, obviously, uh, you know, with my performance in uh, MV3, so you should not take uh, what I'm saying into account, but I do think the next one will probably be the, the, the biggest, but the shortest lived. Because once, know. again, once the cycle is identified, it ceases to exist. We don't know. We don't what know. We do. Nobody There's knows, only right. one thing that we do know, which is halving. Bitcoin halving, right. absolutely 100%. Historically, 100%. It, it, no, but, it, but, it's, but it's not even that. It, it, the, the Bitcoin halving is just a fact. 
There are very few facts in crypto. The Bitcoin halving is a fact. What tends to happen after that is a, a new cycle begins. That's it. And you can set your watch by it. You can also generate exit liquidity for your project. How you feel about that is an entirely different thing. What I will say is that innovation happens in cycles as well. There are people who are drawn to a space, who find themselves fascinated by it, who start to dig down and start to ask themselves questions that they have to find the answers to. They're generally men in their early 20s who some of them kind of find these incredible solutions to things and become you know, great innovators. The thing that I have a really big issue with is that you have put Dan Olson's Line Goes Up film in your blog post. And you I, don't like it? I, you I don't like him. I don't like him no. full stop. No. I don't, I don't know who he is. I just, that was something that, uh, I, I remember it was going popular in the bull run and everybody sort of dismissed it. Yeah. Um, and I thought I mean, he it, was wrong as well because he missed like the cultural component, the community component, et cetera. But listening to it now uh, sort of hit me differently. Um, I again, understand that. He, he yeah. is what's known as a flogger. He is someone that okay. takes something that is an easy target and he flogs it and flogs it and flogs mm. it. I am a documentarian. I come from, you know, working for Monocle magazine and Vice and the BBC. Our approach in making films was always to be balanced. Dan Olson yeah. is not balanced in any way, shape or form. And he picks targets where he has an easy win. He's a flat track bully. He's 100%. a flogger. And I am not dismissing in any way, shape or form his criticisms because they are entirely fair, but they are entirely not balanced and they don't represent the right. entire space because they're, no. everything in this space is not all bad. There are good actors and bad actors in every single walk of, of is, life. is good. I actually think, well, let's not say most, but a lot of it is good. I think everybody came in with like real intentions, right? Um, so when people are creating these projects, um, you know, I don't think... There's there's a big percentage of them that I don't think we're like, hey, let's just suck liquidity out of these morons. It's not it's nothing like that. It was like, this is an amazing cultural moment. This is incredibly new and novel technology. How do we harness it? How can we leverage it? We're all builders. We're all tinkerers. And I think for, for me in particular, it was that, right? Um, and the what happened was I was just a, a horrible operator in the space. Um, I was trying to model our project after things that had worked, but it worked for them for a specific reason. It didn't work for us because we didn't necessarily have that in our DNA. Um, and so I think that was the ultimate downfall. I think basically you you suffered the same fate that many young footballers or young sports athletes, you know, like they suffer. You get the stars in your eyes and you believe that that situation there will continue. There's a There's a saying, you know, like, Hollywood agents talk about a moment that a piece of talent gets hot. And in that moment that it gets hot, they extract the maximum value that they possibly can. And if they're lucky, they get two, three, four cycles of that talent. But generally, that's what tends to happen. And if you're hot in that moment, understand that you're not hot forever, that your moment comes and goes. And if as long as you make the most out of that moment and are able to evolve and pivot, then wonderful. We are releasing a film about Jensen Huang today. I don't know if you know who he is, but he's the CEO of NVIDIA. NVIDIA, yeah. That guy is incredible. Like multiple times over the last 30 years, he's been in a situation where his back was against the wall. He made a big bet. He pulled it off. He keeps pulling it off. Like those kind of people who are able to see the things that we can't see and pull it together and lead a team through that. I mean, that's incredible. I don't know where Mark Zuckerberg is going with Meta. I don't know where Tim Cook's going with Vision Pro, but I do know that Tim Sweeney, Epic Games, 
Jensen Huang and Nvidia. I mean, these are people that have been in this game for like a long ass time, able to react, able to pivot, able to change what they do. Those are the people that I I look at to model things off, not Azuki. Although, uh, although by the way, for the record, I think Z Zagaman from Azuki is incredibly shrewd, as good as it comes in this game. Um, and I and and I, and I think again, like I I just believe um, there's a peak for every project uh, in terms of in terms of like having that floor price at all time high where there's no longer any financial upside um, for community member, I, I do think there's a peak. Do you know what would be a cool documentary? Meeting the other side of your trade. If you had the person that you traded against and then in real life actually you, met them. You met like Franks. No, that would just be a good idea, right? Like that would be a, yes. be a yes. cool thing. Because it anyway, is PVP, right? For everyone. Meet, meet the one who wrecked exactly. you. Meet yeah, the one who wrecked you. Meet the one who wrecked you. There it is. I'm That's sorry, Lukey. I've been I've been dominating the conversation, but like this not is very all. dear to my heart. And I also think Roberto is not a shit shit operator. I think no. I think you you you, you got wrecked by NFTs. Well, I I, I I I am in this game. I am in this game. I realized I couldn't play it. And by the way, like I don't think it was, you know. Um, and and by the way, you know, I, I'm not like this crazy, obviously business person. I have now sold two companies for for seven figures, but obviously, certainly, I'm not. I'm no Jensen Huang, right? But all the people that I bet on in NFTs, by the way, um, you know, like CPG, Chris Cantino, he built a hundred million dollar business. I bet on him. You know, his floor, or whatever, down ninety seven percent as well. Um, the the sneaks of nature guys built a ten million dollar enterprise with iconic. I'm betting on all these guys, and I'm realizing that. The, the business uh, expertise does not necessarily translate. You really got to be more in tune with like this crypto culture. And, and the, like I, I admire um, D-Gods, uh, forget his name. Frank, Frank, Frank yeah. Frank well, D. he's not really called I, Frank, but yeah, yeah. I admire him because he realizes there's no real business acumen. It's like he knows the game and he's not afraid to play it and say what he's playing. Hey, I'm going to drive more attention here to make your floor price go higher so you can continue yeah. to win. Like, and all the, like he, brilliant. Like, I think, I think, uh, like I mean, you, you were asking who's doing it well. There is Luca Nets, Pudgy Penguins. Also super shrewd and smart guy. And I think Pudgy Penguins will become incredibly valuable and profitable IP. Again, I think it doesn't translate to holders. After a certain amount of time, there's a peak and there's no more financial upside because of math. But it's, yeah, it's, it's an evolving game. But in terms of proving that there is, there is a way to bridge two worlds that don't feel like they belong together successfully, but I think brilliant, that, you know, brilliant, brilliant. most 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 people who own Pudgy Penguins now are in a place where they're like, I really want to see where he takes this, 100%. and he's earned the position of trust because he executes really Correct. well. And that's it. La- last thing, real quick though, I want to say like I admire all those guys. Like brilliant, they were able to execute and play a game that I was not able to play. I know how difficult it is, and so like I just like hats off to them. There's a handful of like Zaga, Luca Nets, Frank, um, a handful of those guys where I'm just like. Wow. Like I just sit back and watch their execution. I'm like these guys are very very impressive. Yeah. There's certainly good, smart, talented people in the space who are experimenting in real time and that is part of it all, isn't it? You mentioned quickly web3 gaming. We won't dive fully into it, but if that is the next thing and this all happens again, do you think there is a business model there quickly and then tell us all about Aluna? AI as well, because you've got to get it. Uh, I do, but not for, like, first of all, I think Web3 Gaming, when it comes down to it, it'll be its own category. I think it's more akin to a slot machine, right? And um, I think for Web3 Gaming to really work, you have to first focus on the game. So it's got to be a great game, like World of Warcraft. And then I think what happens is NFTs should be items that you earn. So when you earn a legendary item in World of Warcraft, that should be bounded to you, not 
through a centralized, uh, you know, tech stack that Blizzard owns, but through an NFT that is verified by the blockchain. I think that's brilliant. I think that's novel. But I think these secondary markets that evolve on top of it have to sort of be detached from like, I don't think the game is going to be the ones that are minting these like, like, how do I explain this? Like, CryptoPunks is, is something that I would invest in still because it's detached from any performance metric, right? Like, a game will always come and go no matter how good the game is, except for maybe, like, CSGO and some others that have lasted the test of time. Um, but I do think the secondary markets that emerge have to be, um, you know, sort of sort of its own thing that just kind of manifests and evolves. I don't think it can be tied to the game. So, like, the game manufacturer or publisher, first of all, I don't think they... they it like makes sense um, for them to convert all these items into NFTs, but that's a different story, but they have to be kind of separated from this, from the secondary market activity, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with Roberto. I think web through gaming from, from what I'm kind of hearing and, and seeing it's really maturing fast. I think, I think you, you, we all know how hard it is to build a, a good game, let alone a great game yeah, and a game that people yeah. actually want to play because, you know, attention is the scarce resource. But there is increasing evidence that this this moment of overlap between this Web3 ownership paradigm and games full stop is, is accelerating towards us. And, you know, I, I pay special attention to Fortnite and looking at where UEFN is going, where the fab marketplace is going and where open standards are going. And it feels like this is going to be this moment where the floodgates open and liquidity just pours everywhere. Everyone can travel anywhere I and do so anything. But it's not going to happen overnight. You know, it's it's a tough one. Um, I've got one last question for you. Cash offer right now, what would you sell the Metaverse Instagram account for? Um, <laughs> I don't know if I should divulge publicly because I'm in the middle of different negotiations now. Oh, you're, you're, some, you're, you're, you're selling it? Uh, attempting to, but right. Okay, so there, there's two ways and I'll just kind of like get, give you insight into this and be sort of transparent about it. Um, there is one school of thought which I'm leaning towards more is to keep it until my um, thesis of the metaverse coming back in a really, really big way. And then the price would be a little bit more uh, lucrative yeah. uh, to sell. There's, an, there's another school of thought uh, that I'm going through right now is just to sell it because, again, I've been spread so thin. I've been working on seven different things. Yeah. Um, and so being able to consolidate and just put all my energy, you know, 80, uh, 50% into two things or hundred percent into one thing is much better than 10% and 10 different things. And so trying to maybe like rinse my hands clean of that and sell it now is also on the, op, uh, also on the table. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to mention the price since I'm in current negotiations. No, you don't, you don't, you don't have to, you don't have up. to. Cool. Um, we strong. think it's, we think it's valuable and we think you should get good money for it. That's it. I, I appreciate it. And some of the, some of the suitors that have come to the table realize it too. I think it's valuable for a very specific entity. Um, yeah. And those entities are now on the table, which is great. That's great. Well, listen, Roberto, I think Luke would probably echo the same. Like you've been unbelievably candid and that is rare and to be wholly respected. And I think you should kind of walk out with this with your head held high. I, I think you are unfortunately a victim of something that we ourselves have felt. We've kind of scooted around the outside of it, but I totally sympathize with where yeah. you have been and where you're at. And I, and I, God, I wish you wouldn't have had to have gone through that because it's clear like it's been hard. Yeah, and it's I, been and hard, and also, you know, there's a lot of other victims. You know, I'm not, I'm not the victim. I'm everything good and bad that happens in my life is, is I'm 100% accountable for, right? Um, but there are a lot of people in the community that I, I just feel terribly for, right? Um, and so that's been the most disappointing part of this whole thing. I can, again, I can handle failure. I can handle losing money. It's not, I, it, it really, you know, it doesn't affect me 
uh, in that that way, right? Like because I understand it's part of the game and the risk that you take. But um, the disappointment that I have for people that I feel that I've failed in the community after going to bat, you know, for them for 18 months, that's been really difficult. Fair play to you. Uh, yeah, thank you for sharing that, being so honest and transparent with it, all for sure. Um, anything you want to wrap up with? Anything you're excited about right now that you're working on and, and you want to say a quick word on? Um, started a new newsletter that's growing really rapidly. I think that's exciting. I think um, another tangent, but when it comes to content, uh, I think I think the, the audiences that you want to have in order of importance is YouTube. I think is by number one, uh, the most lucrative. Second would be podcast. So kudos to you guys. And third is newsletter. I think a lot 100%. of the platforms that I've been focusing on, for example, TikTok, Instagram, where my audience is the largest. And so I feel like I'm, I'm allowed to say this because my audiences are by far and large or uh, by far and away the largest on Instagram and TikTok. I think those are the two least valuable platforms. Yeah. So this is something that I've been shifting recently. So we're yeah. starting a podcast. I'm starting a, a new venture. I'm actually not uh, going to gonna announce yet. Um, started a newsletter, uh, Luna.ai is going really, really well. Uh, we're up at 60,000 users now. I think we're about to eclipse 150K ARR. It's not a number to write home about, but after only two months. Yeah. yeah, after only two months and the only customer distribution strategy or customer acquisition strategy has been my own content. I think it's promising and we've just laid out the foundation and now we're shifting from uh, novelty to utility and building products for creators. I think that's exciting. Um, continuing to build the, the metaverse Instagram out. I'm still always in discord all the time, hanging out with the guys and just being available and transparent, um, you know, for questions, et cetera. Um, and the most exciting thing is that I have a daughter coming in three weeks. So, hey, oh, so. Oh, congratulations. congratulations. Well, yeah, I hope I'm it does come in the three club, weeks. Robin. Yeah, nice. Luke, nice, do you have nice. any kids? I haven't. No, it is in okay, conversation right. at the moment. Oh, beautiful man. It changes, not, it changes everything. No, I was just, I'm just going to follow up on like that. It, it's the great irony of the, the world that we're in that the, the, the email newsletter owning your own email list, it's so old school. I mean that's that's yeah. about as old school as it gets, but it is actually really valuable. So we're we're also thinking about the same thing. Well, like how the, do, how do the, we do you, it? You guys you guys have to because the reason why is YouTube podcast newsletter. Yes. Ads and sponsorship placements are expected. Yes. Correct. And so um, whereas Instagram and TikTok, like if I post an ad on the metaverse Instagram, it's going to diminish the brand equity of, of metaverse. It has diminishing returns over time. There's no real good placement there. Even on stories, people stop watching the stories if it's all ads, right? So Instagram and TikTok are best suited to capture the attention and then funnel it into the actual products that I think are valuable. Uh, having a YouTube audience, podcast, newsletter. So you, yeah. guys, are, you guys are doing the right thing. Yeah, we're... Fortnite, we, Fortnite UEFN. Fortnite. The it's the undiscovered country... There's yeah. millions, bruv. Millions, bruv, yeah, on that yeah. platform. Yeah, them kids that can't get enough of it. <laughs> they speak like that as well. That's how they, they talk. They do. They um, do. Good stuff. Uh, nice. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Roberto. Massively appreciate it. And good luck with everything you're thank you up guys, to. We'll, we'll Anytime, really soon. appreciate you guys. 